0: Before we put our bad therapist hat on, we have got to tell you about a super special project we've been working on with our favorite, Jane. This is just for listeners of Am I a Bad Therapist, so keep listening to learn more about how you can get your hands on some super fun bad therapist swag.
1: You should know by now that we have talked all about how amazing Jane is and how easy it was for both of us to switch. So whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating.
0: And that's why the Jane team provides you with all of the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth and quick as possible.
1: Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. If you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support, including in your Jane subscription.
0: And now, if you mention the code BADTHERAPIST when you switch, not only do you get the 30-day grace period on your account, But you also get swag for switching. This
1: swag is amazing with collaborative branding from Amaya Bad Therapist and Jane. And it is so cute if we do say so ourselves. I had the opportunity to design all of the swag and
0: I made sure to design it just for therapists. And let me tell you, this is the stuff therapists love. We're talking sticky notes, coffee mugs, hats, you know, the good stuff.
1: And Jane has never done this before, so you do not want to miss out on this one. You can get a preview of the swag if you head over to our Instagram at a bad therapist pod and see for yourself. If
0: you're interested in learning more, book a one on one demo at jane.app and don't forget to use the code bad therapist at sign up when you make the switch to get that one month grace period on your new Jane account and the swag for switching to Jane. Have you ever
1: asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy,
0: licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist. And this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories
1: from behind the closed therapy door.
0: You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space
1: with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar
0: chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy,
1: we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... Catherine, have you ever experienced bandsplaining before? Absolutely. I don't know
0: many colleagues who haven't.
1: Yeah, I feel like I experienced it. I've had it professionally, personally, just like out in the world, online.
0: It's uh, pretty prevalent, I'd say. I like that we have a name for it now, though. Because I always knew it felt bad, but now we have a name. We can name it. We can see it. We can change it. And we're going to hear from Corey today, who is in private practice as an intern and gets a pretty uh, mansplaining email that explains, mansplains why she's a bad therapist. Uh, spoiler alert though, uh, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, so before we get into it, we just want to remind you that this episode is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself, because we don't endorse bad therapy. All right, well, this is episode number
1: 85 of Am I a Bad Therapist? We're calling this one Mansplained Appropriately. Let's get into it.
0: Hello, hello, fellow Pennsylvanian Corey. How are you?
2: I'm doing fabulous. How are you guys doing today?
0: I were so good. I'm good. Although I was told that we were supposed to get rain today and it is still snow where I'm at. So I don't know about you. Oh, I have
2: rain. I have rain and wind and it's disgusting.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, before we get into your bad therapist story, why don't you, other than the fact that you live in Pennsylvania, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Thank you. So
2: I live in Reading, Pennsylvania, where I am a couples counselor and own a private practice called Our Whole Living Counseling. So I have a group practice. I have people, we specialize mostly in couples counseling, trauma counseling, and then we also do a lot of work with um, moms and families who have lost babies or uh, lost uh, had stillbirths or miscarriages. Uh, and then in addition to that, I have my own podcast called From Intern to Entrepreneur, mm-hmm. where I help pre-licensed uh, folks start their private practices while they're pre-licensed, still in states where that's possible. So, so yeah, I do all kinds of different stuff.
0: That that's is so fun, incredible. We had an episode about that earlier this year too. That's wonderful, Corey. You're doing the good work.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, right, cool. cool. Well, why don't we jump into it? What is the story you're going to share with us that made you both question if you were a bad therapist and slash maybe we got a preview? You were told you were a bad therapist. Yeah. So this takes me back
2: a few years to when I was still pre-licensed. And as I, like I do with people in from intern to entrepreneur, I teach pre-licensed people how to start private practices. It's because I did it myself. So I was pre-licensed. I had just started a private practice. I was under supervision because that is one of the caveats uh, is that you have to be under supervision, obviously while you're working toward licensure, but if you want to pre-license private practice. And so there were a lot of things that I was hesitant about. While I had a lot of confidence in myself, in my skills and my abilities, there were some circumstances that like I had never come across. And so I relied heavily, heavily, heavily on my supervisor and other people around me. And mostly I got through, you know, just fine. So I got a voicemail to my business line one day from a local psychologist. And it was a psychologist who I'd never heard of before. And he started explaining that we shared a mutual client that I was seeing the couple and he was seeing one of the individuals uh he named the client he went on to say the disorder that he had diagnosed this client with and a whole ton of other identifying information um and and just like very deep case stuff like it was it was like a 2 minute voicemail where he like basically like laid everything out and and essentially it was a plea to uh let's consult so I heard this voicemail, and I immediately was like a little bit put off. Like, oh, that was felt like a lot of information that he just gave me over this voicemail. I mean, nobody had access to it, but I, I just thought, like, wow, like that's a lot of inf- client information out there. But then I was like, I would love to consult with this person, but he's. Wanted to consult, he wanted me to just call him back. And I had not talked to my clients about this. Neither of them had mentioned that either of them in their paperwork or in our oral history report that they were in counseling. So I had no idea through my own clients that this person even existed. And so I consulted with my supervisor and I said, Hey, Ryan, my supervisor, it seems like maybe I should get my client's consent or get an ROI signed. Before I talked to this psychologist, my supervisor was like, Absolutely, you should consult your clients and say, Hey, you gotta reach out from this guy and, and you know, get their get their permission to speak with him. So I emailed this man back, the psychologist back, because I was afraid that if I got on the phone with him, that I wouldn't be able to hold the boundary. Cause I was already intimidated that he was a psychologist. I think in my pre-licensed mind, I was like, Oh my gosh, psychologists are are like two tiers above therap or counselors, which is what I was, I was going to be. Um, and so I was kind of already intimidated to speak with him. And of course I went to his website when I was trying to get his email and he's been in practice, you know, since back before the war. And, um, like I was just like, I can't get on the phone with this guy because if he starts talking about the clients, I'm not gonna be able to hold the boundary there. So sent him an email and just said, Hey, just so you know, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to reach out to my clients to get an ROI signed once I hear back from them. I'll proceed uh, forward. So reached out to my clients via email with what this what, what this psychologist had said that he would like to connect. I said, I'm sending you a form, fill it out if you would like me to connect with him. If not, we can talk about it at our next session. In the meantime, maybe three days later, um, I had not heard from them and I got an email from this psychologist. And if you guys are cool with it, I'm just going to go ahead and read the email that I received from yes, him please. back. It
1: okay. is worth
2: great. reading. So, great. So- Says, hello, Corey. Due to unforeseen changes, I am not able to coordinate care with you. Indeed, I believe that this has resulted from the lack of coordination to this point. In my practice of over 30 years, it's my policy to never begin treatment with someone who is currently in an ongoing psychotherapy or counseling without first coordinating with the other therapist and the patient from which the coordinated decision is made about how to proceed with the patient's best interest in mind. Failure to do so can disrupt ongoing treatment and be harmful to the patient. As an OCD specialist, this has come up quite often when the person referred to me is in treatment of this while the person is also being seen by another therapist who has been addressing other issues with the patient and is unskilled at treating OCD. I always make sure that we're coordinated in our plan that my work will not interfere with theirs. I'd be happy to discuss the practice, professional, and ethical issue with you uh, at greater length if you would like. Indeed, I participate in a local peer consultation group once a month where we discuss such matters. Perhaps you would like to join. Best, and then he names himself. Uh, I got this email and immediately had no idea what to do, assumed that I had done the worst. I screwed the patients up, the clients up. Um, and now I had a horrible reputation in the community, right? So I just got this and had no idea what to do from there. So, so that's sort of the setup of like, what happened to me?
0: I, I have so many reactions to that message, Same. but I want to go back to your headspace of when you received it. Mm-hmm. What, what was the, who was the first person you went to with this, with this email? What did you do with it?
2: I, the first person I went to was my inner critic. <laughs> um, right. So I think I probably read this email 400 times before I actually reached out to what I did was I reached out to my supervisor, but, but I did that like 400 times. Cause I, I think I immediately felt like embarrassed or like ashamed and like, didn't want to reach out. I was like, Oh my God, I've done the wrong thing. I don't, I don't even want to like tell on myself here, you know? And I did. Um, But I just thought I had done something so wrong that I was like, oh my God, should I hide this? And, you know, didn't, but that's where my head went. Did you
0: identify what you felt you did wrong? So at the time,
2: you know, honestly, looking back on it at the time, I don't even, I think that there was maybe a shame spiral happening. Mm -hmm. And, and because of that, like probably, no, I couldn't have identified it I mean, if I had to really put myself in the position, it was just that. Well, I should have just coordinated with this person to begin with, and he knows more about what's going on than I do, and so I did the wrong thing by not just trusting him when he called and calling him right back,
0: and consulting with that on ROI.
2: Yeah, right. It's ridiculous.
0: Right. <laughs> That's right. When well, you put it that way. Back to. Like, that's the part I keep coming back to
1: that I'm so surprised. It's not like it was some super nuanced thing that, like, you know, it's like, oh, I have to look that up. I don't actually know what we're supposed to do. That's, like, pretty 101 of, like, we don't consult without a release of information, period. Mm -hmm. And I don't even
2: know. I ended up not ever really talking to my clients about it because they didn't address it. Like, I'm here for what my clients need. They never brought it back up so I don't even know what happened after that. Like, did he reach out for an ROI or did they get my request and say something to him? You know, I, I don't even really know what happened around the needing of an ROI or, you know, it, the the vibe that I'm getting or the vibe that I got at that time is this guy never even suggested to this couple, um, which was also an interesting thing because He was supposed to be the individual client, but in the voicemail, he referred to both people as in the session. So I remember also thinking, well, is he doing couples work? Is this like, what's happening here? Um, But yeah, I don't think he ever even consulted with them that he was going to contact me.
0: So you did not bring this up with your clients. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah,
2: no, I didn't. I chose not to.
0: I'm putting myself in your shoes. If I had got that email and I was pre-licensed and terrified and very shameful, how did you how did you manage your own trans or counter transference, I guess, in the room? I guess did that impact how you showed up or what you did in the room or felt in the room with your with these clients?
2: No, because I I really truly believe in the power of consultation. And so because I had gotten consultation from my supervisor, and I also think I did talk to one of my close therapist confidants, by the time we had talked it out, it was clear to me that this was a th- this was a this guy problem, not a Corey problem. So I felt confident enough to just go into it thinking, so well, maybe I should say this. The advice that my supervisor gave me was to not even acknowledge the email, to not email this guy back. And so that is the route that I took. And so I think that when I was with my clients, it was the same idea of if they want to bring it up, mm-hmm. then we'll talk about it. But otherwise, I didn't know about this guy or this, this psychologist and that treatment before. And so I'm not going to bring it up. Now- now that I'm saying this, because this was a few years ago, it is coming back to me. They had acknowledged in that next session that, that they had, I I don't remember how they said it. They had dumped his individual therapist Mm. who I had never heard about. So, so they were acknowledging it. But again, I, I didn't have anything nice to say about this psychologist. So I recognized that my contribution to the conversation wasn't going to be helpful with them right like what was i what was i going to say oh yeah he contacted me like he's super unethical I, they they had figured it out and they weeded it out for themselves so so i didn't pursue it any further because it wasn't part of our treatment goals
0: totally get yeah. that
1: I admire that self-awareness too, of knowing like if I open my mouth, it's not going to contribute anything like necessary to this conversation. So I feel like I really admire that self-awareness. And also I think the restraint in not replying, because I feel like when you go down, at least let me say, when I go down a shame spiral, I feel like I might get a little defensive sometimes, or, you know, if you are thinking I'm doing something wrong, or you want to justify something to somebody who's making you feel like you did something wrong. And I admire not responding to that email because it felt... Mansplaining, like it felt like again, like telling you you're doing something wrong, and I could see so easily in that whirlwind, jumping to a response. And the fact that you took some time, you got your consultation, you talked to your supervisor, and you chose not to respond, I think that's very powerful, and I admire that for sure. Um, and in reflecting back, it sounds like you still are glad you didn't respond to that.
2: Oh yeah, I'm very glad I didn't respond. And and in hearing you say that back, let me point out this other thing that was a part of my reason to not responding. It had been clear to me, these clients had clearly communicated to him, whether it was verbally or non-verbally, or whether it was direct or indirect, that they were not interested in us consulting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I took that as a sign Mm -hmm. that I had no further business with this the psychologist, because how was I going to even respond to his email in a way that would have maybe felt a little bit like I was taking some power back? Um, or, or or showing some power or whatever you want to say without acknowledging that that part of the client journey um, or, or that they were my client. So I just thought, listen, you're, you're saying to me that you have this client. Uh, they have not said that they want any contact between you and I. They haven't signed that. So I'm done contacting you. So that was also part of it in addition to like, yeah, I feel like the silence said more.
1: Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Since you're here, we're going to assume that you already like learning from other people. And if you want to take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join us on the network.
0: The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work.
1: Yes. And we value the bad therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast. And it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the therapist network. And it's just a gift that keeps on giving and
0: you really should come join us on the therapist network. Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here. And I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's creative intervention library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you wanna access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care and sign up for free today and now let's circle back to the show now i'm wondering if the psychologist had even informed the patient that he would be contacting you or consulting with you because it doesn't sound like any communication it was it's interesting that's that's all interesting
2: I don't think so. Um, but, but again, you know, I I kind of realized I was in a position where unless I was going to get like gossipy or, Mm -hmm. um, some type of finding some type of like retribution or whatever, these are just details that I didn't need to know because the clients didn't want me to know them. And, and another interesting thing to point out is, so these clients were going there for apparently the specialty that I had no idea about, um, had never come up in our work, was not something that I would have diagnosed the client with. Um, and and it, admittedly, it is not my specialty area. However, you know, I have a basic understanding of mm-hmm. of diagnoses, right? So so I, I also was like, this is just also new information for me that's not in alignment with anything I've heard from these people. So
0: I just mm-hmm. have the ick right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have the ick because also when you put it in context of you were pre-licensed and you were out mm. on your own. And I don't know about you, but one of the major motivators for me for not working in large systems is they tend to be quite oppressive, specifically mm. to certain populations or professions. And so here you are doing your own thing, entrepreneur, not putting up with shit, like making your own decisions, yet you're still getting mansplained to from un- un- unreque- like unprompted unprompted shame spirals were just given to you from, from colleagues nearby.
2: Mm-hmm. And the, the, the thing that really gets me as I, as I reflect on this and read, read it back is there were so many assumptions mm. that he was making about me, about my clients, about, my level of expert, about my areas of expertise, right? So how, so how did he know that I was, that this this was not an area of expertise? He never even had spoke to me, right? So, how you know, how does he know that I, I didn't complete an internship at a site where that was the primary focus? It was just so many assumptions built in. And I know that I try to be really mindful as someone who is further along in their career at this point, when I'm talking to newer clinicians of, I don't want to make any assumptions about what you know or don't know. I'll let it come out or, you know, I'll ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to make assumptions that what I'm doing is the superior thing and that and, – and I'm so superior in it that you you can't even know about it. Yes. Like it's, it's so strange to me.
1: Yeah. I know. I feel like I also have this ick where I'm like, I don't even know what to say right now because I feel like there are unfortunately so many pieces of our profession where this comes up a lot where there is a lot of gatekeeping or, you know, there is a lot of like mansplaining or a lot of maybe older mentalities or like colonialism, like all the things that can be barriers to care but can also make new therapists feel like shit or like you're doing it wrong or you're not good enough or you're not as good as me or you're doing it wrong. But then I just keep thinking back to the client experience when I have so many clients come to me and they're like, I've never had a good experience in therapy before. I don't want to try it. I don't want to do this. And all of this is just spiraling around in my head right now where it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just making me feel like it's, your story is unique, but it's so also like, I feel like relevant and like irrelevant rather, and that people can relate to it. But I also don't know where to go from it aside from hopefully that we're talking about it to hopefully make more changes. (laughs)
2: Well, and, and what I, where we go from it, I think is like, is, is we have to have self awareness Mm -hmm. and you know, I was never going to change this man's mind. And I think I knew that at that point, because though I was newer in my career, I, I, I do have a confident personality. And so, so at the same time, you know, I was trying to be aware of where should I be questioning myself? What do I need help with? What are my blind spots? What are my weaknesses? But I'm also like, yeah, but I, I, I'm competent. (laughs) I, I know when to ask for help if I need help. And so I think that like us just being really aware as therapists, I can only change me and I can only, I can only do what I can do. And I also think it's a really good point in the importance of rapport, Mm -hmm. right? So this person, he, this psychologist may be the, the best OCD specialist in the world. I have no idea, but at the end of the day, this client, this this couple, ended up for whatever reason deciding to see me, the pre licensed, thirty something chick, right over his thirty years of specialty, and I can only chalk that up to the rapport that was being built. And so I think that that's another, where do we go from here? We can't undervalue the importance of building rapport with our clients. And and to your point that, yeah, that's why people come to me all the time. They're like, oh my God, I've never had a good therapy experience. Yeah, well, because I wonder how many uh, many different clinicians of various types become so caught up in the diagnosis or the type of treatment they're doing that they're missing that it's a human interaction
0: first. And you have to have the basis of that. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And then my head immediately goes to, I wonder, I'm sure there's research out there about self-awareness and rapport. Self-awareness and therapists, I'm sure it's correlated and their ability to build rapport with clients. If not, we should look into that. But
1: okay, a bad therapist research program. Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) Oh my God.
2: You guys are so revolutionary. I love it.
0: (laughs) so So I'm curious, Corey, would hypothetical, same situation happens, but it happens now in your career. Would you handle it the same way?
2: Yeah, I think that I would. I think I might word things differently. Um, I think I might express my perspective in it. So when I had sent the initial email to him saying, hey, I'm going to get this ROI. I'm going to request this. I just wanted to give you a heads up. I think I would add some rationale rather than assuming everybody knows why I'm doing that, because so I've never worked in an agency setting, but, um, what I've heard from people and this may, or this, this is just what I've heard about people's experiences that there is more of this like open door communication. And so like, if you work at like a large agency, I, I, my understanding is that they're not getting ROIs for everything. And so maybe that's translating to, clinicians just thinking that there are things that they're allowed to talk to other clinicians about. So rather than assuming this person uh, is doing a bad practice, they might just be doing what they know and what they've done in the past. And so I would explain my rationale. Hey, I'm going to get an ROI because I have not talked to my clients about this. They haven't brought it up. And I want to make sure that I'm not damaging the rapport with them by saying something to a different clinician that they're unaware of. And you know, I want their permission. So I think I would respond the same, but i would add my rationale so that the other clinician understood where i was coming from and then they can do with that what they want they can reflect on on their reaching out to me without one um they can they can simmer on it they can do whatever they want with that but i'm i'm at least putting out there hey this is this is my practice and it aligns with my ethics and my view of of client work
1: did it ever now i know you said we can only control ourselves right of course and you're not going to change this person's mind but did it ever come up where you thought about like like this is an ethical violation. Like it is like potentially hyper breach. Like mm-hmm. share if they if they're you know sharing full details without releasing really information. Like did anything about that ever cross your mind at all? Or I don't know if it's worth discussing now or thinking about that. But that piece kind of I feel like it's tickling in the back of my brain right now. It didn't
2: cross my mind. I think at that point. I think again that was part of my mm-hmm. oh this person knows more than I do mm-hmm. and. So, so I think that probably while I'm expressing a lot of confidence in the path that I took, I don't think I had enough confidence at that point to then challenge him or challenge the system. (laughs) Um, So it's not something that I considered or really that anybody had brought up to me even. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was part of, I don't know. Is that a profession to profession thing where, you know, the people I was consulting with were counselors? So is there maybe a little bit of intimidation across titles? Uh, I'm not sure, but I guess, I guess if it happened now, I would consider it. Um, Yeah. I I wish I saved, I mean, it was years ago. I wish I had saved the voicemail to just go and see exactly what was said and exactly how much information did get divulged. I I just remember sort of being like, oh, that's, it was, it was, there's information I didn't even know. So Mm -hmm. that felt like Just too much. So yeah, but that's an interesting question to pose.
1: Yeah. And again, not to say that you should have, because again, like you said, especially with that intimidation, you already felt going into that spiral. I just was curious because I don't know what I would do either. Um, but I can't help but think about it. And yeah, it's so layered. So
0: interesting. So I take Mm -hmm. it you didn't go to their consultation group.
2: I never engaged in that consultation group. No. You didn't even Uh, think
0: about dropping in just to say hi. You know. I do remember thinking, I do remember for a
2: second being like, okay, am I overreacting to this email? Maybe this person was just giving some goodwill and saying, hey, like, I'd love to be part of your mentorship, like join this group. And so th- I think there was, there was a little bit of me that was like, oh, like maybe that could be helpful for me professionally. But then again, as I reviewed it, I was like, is this the person I want to be mentored by? I know. I was,
0: <laughs> I was more saying you need to go and explain ROIs to this consultation group. I oh, think they oh, need to Oh, go. yeah. I was going in
1: as petty no. Betty into that consultation group. That's how I'd be going in. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I guess
2: I, I don't know if this is just something about me. Like I just always feel like silence is the better, you know, because because he was probably expecting and waiting for for some type of response for me. So I don't know. I feel like that's the pettier thing. Like, oh, I'm not even going to acknowledge you. So, but that is, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should contact him now and see if it's still going. <laughs>
0: Then come back and let us know.
2: (laughs) The other thing I want to point out is that as I reflect on it now, I am a couples counselor. I work systemically. I work with families. I do individual counseling, but when I'm working with couples, I'm not doing individual counseling with two people. I'm doing a whole different type of counseling. He was doing individual counseling with that person. And I think, the, that the way that he approached me seemed to me, and this is an assumption, it seemed to me to also express his misunderstanding or or not understanding or, or, or ignorance around how relational work works. So it's, it, you know, yeah, to some point we can consult on whatever information you want me to know, but like my therapeutic approach is not going to align with or, or may not align with your therapeutic approach, which doesn't mean they have to be at odds with each other. But I, I'm not sure how much value I was going to even get from that consultation. If he was treating him for a specific diagnosis... Um, I don't know how much information I needed to know because ideally what would happen is that any good work that he did around that diagnosis would positively impact or, or impact at some point the relationship, at which point that's where I would step in and talk about the impact of that. So so I also think like it's really important to kind of point out that, yeah, there seemed to be some bias from him about the individual work over the couple's work. So, I don't know if that if that makes sense.
0: I really can relate to the messaging of there are so many subset specialties within uh, degrees, license types, subset specialties within our field that I I mean the one thing that being a part of the therapist network has taught me is that I know nothing, not even scratching the surface on some of these subspecialties. And now I know when to ask questions. Like I'm thinking you, Allie, as an art therapist, board certified art therapist, you know, you came, you taught us there's a, you can't just go around saying you do art therapy. You're not an art therapist. There's a whole modality behind it and training education and licensure. And so I, I think that the big part here for me is staying curious about others about others period about others referrals about other therapists about other modalities other approaches like if we just come at it from a place of genuine curiosity it can take us so much further and I have learned so much from everyone and I'm never probably going to do EMDR but I know more about it now just by talking to people about it and being curious about it and he did not do that for you um mm-hmm. it, it's it felt very hierarchical and and cut and dry. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And hold on. This is a petty thing though. Like part of what also for me, I was kind of like, you know what, this isn't even like part of the back and forth is that he had an AOL email address. And I also like, re- I was like, I that was part of my like not responding. I'm like, I can't even respond. Like it is at the time. I think it was like, I don't know, maybe it's 2019 or something. I'm not sure. 2020. It is like the, we're in the twenties of the, tw- of the two thousands. Like get and get a professional email address. How can I take you seriously when you're emailing me from AOL like my dad does? Um nothing against my dad, but
0: He's like, your dad. You're not going to him yeah. for consult advice.
2: Exactly. I'm not expecting that he like knows the ethics of our profession. So, yeah, cuz so I was just like this is not a HIPAA um Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. This is not a
2: HIPAA email address. Yeah, HIPAA secure email mm-hmm. address. So anyway, That just came up for me in the pettiness of like, all right, (laughs) I'm not messing with you.
1: And I think we, like, to Catherine's point, and even to this is like, I feel like we, you can really help open people's minds when you come at it from a lens of curiosity or like sharing versus like, you're wrong and I'm right. Mm -hmm. And Mm I've been doing this for a million years because I just feel like I don't, I would never respond positively to that. I'd be like, okay, bye. Like, versus someone saying like, hey, this is what I do. I would love to talk to you about it. You know what I mean? I feel like just even in the way we communicate, with curiosity or open-mindedness makes such a big difference. And I feel like it would have made a massive difference in this situation too.
2: Well, and you know, I guess if I play devil's advocate to myself, I guess that's what he was trying to do when he initially contacted me. Maybe is maybe, um, I know you guys are like, nah, girl, (laughs) like maybe that was his initial intention, Um, but you know, after the point at which it went south, like his client experience went south, Mm -hmm. if that was there, it was out the window Mm -hmm. based on whatever his own, my guess is shame spiral was that maybe, you know, similar, it was gone. He wasn't interested or curious about me. Um, he was trying to tell me about myself.
1: I like that. That's powerful. Well, so Corey, what would you say to someone listening if they're experiencing something similar, if they got a similar email, if they were getting mansplained to, if they were experiencing any of these emotions or situations? What advice would you give to them? Get consultation
2: from more than one person. So you know, leave the possibility open that maybe you've made a mistake Mm -hmm. or maybe there is something that you could do differently, or maybe there's a way in which you could grow, but also get feedback from other people about where they see, no, this person is out of, this person is, is, I don't want to say wrong, but, but wrong, you know, this person is out of their league. This person is out of their scope, Um. Get consultation from other people so that when you have a situation like this, where you're not sure if, because there are, listen, there are times for teaching. There are times in which in this profession, if you see something, um, you know, that I feel like we should be teaching people about their, their blind spots, if, if, as long as this conditions are right and they're receptive to it. Um, so so get some consultation, ask some questions from other people around, hey, what does this sound like? Does this sound like something that maybe I should be sitting with and simmering with, you know, figuring out the transference of what's happening? Is this is this a is this a transference, counter-transference dynamic? Or is this person just completely out of left field, you know, speaking out of turn? Um, you know, or likely most of the time it's somewhere in the middle. I don't feel like this was that in the middle. Uh, but- But yeah, talk to other people about what they think. And I think that, you know, I had this one professor that would just say, he would just repeat over and over, consultation, consultation, consultation. (laughs) Um, That is like not his accent at all, but like in my head, that's his accent. (laughs) But he would just say that over and over. And I think that that is my recommendation just about almost everything, but especially this.
0: It sounds like you would echo what you wish he was for you. And that was remaining curious. Mm -hmm, remaining curious about the feedback. That's awesome. So Corey, if our listeners want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you?
2: Yeah. So if you're curious about my clinical practice, my website is www.ourwholeliving.com. And if you're interested in the podcast, it's from intern to entrepreneur. You can find it on Spotify, Apple podcasts. uh, And I also have a Facebook group for anybody uh, that is also called from intern to entrepreneur who, you know, is just curious about what their life might look like if they were to start their own private practice out of grad school.
1: That's amazing. Amazing. Well, we'll link that in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for sharing sharing the story Um, with us, Corey. That all rhymed and meshed together in my mouth. But thank you so much for being with us today. It was such a good story. Thank you.
0: And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week.
1: Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague.
0: Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story.
1: Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist air for effect. And if you're a bad therapist, starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services you can find him on instagram at air for effect
0: and if you've experienced an actual bad therapist contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information and if you've liked this episode we've got plenty more yeah over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next monday